Welcome to the Hope Brooklyn Weekly Sermon Podcast. Hope Brooklyn is a community of faith in Brooklyn, New York that believes wherever you are on your spiritual journey, there's room at the table. Thanks so much for listening and enjoy this week's sermon. We invite you all during the prayers of the people to reflect on the words and also participate if you feel led in the sections labeled all in the slides. Father, creator, provider, healer, the one who sees us, the one who knows us, we turn to you and who you are so we can understand who we are. We are created in your image, made to steward your creation, made to be your partners in the work you are doing among us, made to and for love. We thank you and we come with listening ears and open hands. You are a God who listens. O good and loving God, hear our prayers. God, creator, giver of life. We thank you for the abundance and intricacy of the earth, that you set levels of oxygen just right and bordered the land with seas teeming with creatures of all kinds. We praise you for the beauty of the earth. And yet, Lord, in spite of the earth's beauty, we take many aspects of it for granted. Though we are inventive, many of our substances cause great harm to your creation. Creation groans, and so do we as we confess the ways in which our consumption of resources and indifference to waste harms the earth. Forgive us, Father. Help us to turn back to you and help us be good trustees of your creation for ourselves, our neighbors, strangers, and those who come after us. Redeem our habits as we long for the day when all will again be made new. Creator God, hear our prayers. God, precious Redeemer and friend. You called us your friend and took human form by moving into our neighborhood, by being fully human, feeling our hurts, and weeping alongside us in our brokenness. You crushed sin and darkness with your death and resurrection. Praise be the incarnation and the hope of our own resurrection. Help us, O Lord, with our relationships. Many of us struggle to love and care because of our own past scars and burdens. Many of us feel unloved and uncared for by those around us. Many of us experience loneliness, relational shallowness, and struggle with authenticity. Regardless of our relationship status, Lord, whether we are single, married, parents, children, siblings, housemates, friends, enemies, others, or neighbors, make us more like Jesus that we might follow in his steps to sacrifice, love, and give grace. 
Forgive us, Father, when we turn into ourselves. May love be stronger in us than the fear of the pain that comes from caring. Redeem us and our relationships so that we may once more build our common life together. O God, our Redeemer and friend, hear our prayers. Lord, our great healer, our bodies are intricate, our minds active. The human body is indeed a wonder to behold. Give us kindness and generosity to ourselves and our bodies. You are creating in us eternal life, characterized by freedom and healing. We bring to you, Lord, our struggles with anxiety, with depression, with thoughts too fast for us to comprehend, with bodies broken and affected by ailments. Our world is full of darkness and noise. We lament that suicide has risen along with its callous acceptance in our culture. We are bombarded each day with lies and fears that are not of you. Forgive us, the church, for staying silent and not spreading your light. We confess that we are afraid or unsure of how to engage those who struggle with illness. Forgive us for not following you, Jesus, in your ministry of presence, grace, and love. You hear our pain. Comfort, comfort your people, O oh God. You are light, and in you is no darkness at all. O oh God, our healer, hear our prayers. For this church, Hope Brooklyn, May your spirit continue to guide our pastors and servant leaders. May the work of our hands in your presence be so obvious and so felt that no one would leave untouched. May the way you welcome us at your table be the same welcome we extend to all who enter here. Help us to share our brokenness that we might collectively share in redemption. Help us to love like you and lay down our lives for each other. For yours is the kingdom, power, and glory forever. In the name of the beloved, Jesus Christ our Savior, we pray. Amen. Good morning, church. My name is Darren. Um, I'm very happy to be here this morning to begin a multi-week dialogue with you on the topic of generosity, what it means in the Bible, and also how do we create an even greater culture of generosity at Hope Brooklyn. So you already may be wondering two things, right? Uh, if you're a first-time visitor to Hope, or you're just visiting today, or you're new to the church, um, welcome. You know, this is all an FYI for you. We're so glad to have you here with us this morning. And if you're a regular at Hope, if you're part of the Hope community, you may be thinking, uh-oh, because uh, 
we all know that generosity is like Christian speak for money. You know, he's going to ask us for money. Um, and I think there's good news and there's bad news, right? Uh, the good news is that basically we worship, a, a, we worship a wonderful God and he is not purely transactional. Um, he's not all about our money and, and this isn't a transaction. Uh, the bad news is that he probably wants more than our money. He wants our emotional gifts, our relational gifts, our hospitality. He wants our hearts, right? So that's the bad, but ultimately, you know how this works, right? Because like there's always, it always ends in good news. So this actually, I'm going to turn this into good news for you. You'll see, right? Um, so the great news is that, um, you know, God doesn't just want our financial gifts. He wants our uh, relational gifts. He wants our time. He wants our availability. He wants us to do what you all have been doing, which is spending time with one another, uh, building community, um, uh, having meals together, everything we do in your homes, at round tables, um, at table groups. This is everything that's been going on. Um, he wants us to be available emotionally, right? Because as you know, the work of community is hard. Um, you know, you have friends, we all have friends, we all have family, and sometimes they get into the, the VCP area, you know, the very challenging people. And um, it's hard, right? That's when we really start praying. Uh, but that's when we're called to be even more generous, right? To steer into that uh, and to absorb it, to absorb it through prayer, to absorb it through love. Um, and that's what, it's, what it means to be part of the community. Um, and also we're called to open up our homes, which everyone has done here really well. Um, it's a joy. I actually came to Hope maybe a year and a little bit ago. And um, at the time, we didn't have the newcomer's lunch. If you're a newcomer, you'll hear all about the lunch in a minute. But uh, they had a newcomer dinner, and it was actually hosted by Jay and Sue Kim. So um, I showed up at their house, and there's 12 people there. And, uh, and Jay and Sue served this delicious hipster meal of kimchi hot dogs, which I'll never forget. Uh, and it was, it was great. And out of those 12 people, six of us are still very active in the church, right? And this is all part of the Lord's good news uh, and how he has blessed us here. Because what's happening is the church is growing, right? The church is growing and it's such a blessing. As David said in the Psalms, who are we and what is our family that he has brought us thus far? And in accordance with this generosity, dialogue that we want to have, um, you got to put up the slide, put up the generosity slide. Okay. So um, uh, there we go. Okay. So there's a couple of things. I think the first thing is thank you all so much for giving everything that you have, right? Not just your homes, your money, your time, being in relationship, uh, doing the hard work, praying. Um, that is a huge celebration, right? And that's something we should celebrate. And this isn't my nature, but I know this is Hope's nature. So I think we should give ourselves a round of applause. Woo! Yeah. Yeah! So the first thing is thank you. Thank you for your generosity. The second thing is look out for the newsletter this Wednesday. Um, how many of you actually opened the newsletter that, that Brian and Jennifer and Nathan used to put out? Okay, well, next week hopefully we'll have more hands. Uh, check it out. There, there will be some meditations on generosity in the newsletter, which I encourage you to check out. And then the final thing is, for those of you who consider hope your spiritual home, um, we, as you know, as a congregation, uh, need to move out of our denomination's basement, meaning they are still supporting us uh, in our expenditure uh, every month 
to the tune of around $9,000. And um, you know, if you consider this your spiritual home, consider going to the website. I know there are multiple ways there, but um, consider giving a recurring gift, right? It's probably easier to do on the website, kind of uh, difficult via text, but go to the website, pray about it and think about it. Consider um, you know, adding this part to your generosity and um, becoming you know, a greater part of the community in this way. And as I said, well, this will be a multi-week dialogue, so we'll be back with other discussions and activities. Um, and again, thank you so much for all that you've given already. Give with your hearts as well as your gifts. Thank you. Yeah, give it up for Darren. Thanks so much, man. And as Darren said, uh, we do want this to be a, a multi-week dialogue. Dialogue. Uh, if you've been with Hope for any bit of time, I'm Russ, by the way. I'm one of the pastors here. Welcome. Um, if you've been with us for any amount of time, we're not afraid of tough questions. We're not afraid of going into those, those sticky areas where we might not have a full answer, but we want to be there with you. If the gospel means anything, if Jesus coming out of the tomb means anything, it means we are certainly free to enter into tough conversations with one another. And we all know, we're all, we grew up in the West, I, I presume most of us, money's a tough conversation, for sure. Generosity's a tough conversation. Um, but we want to enter into that dialogue. So questions you have, thoughts you have, um, bring them to us. Bring them to Darren. Uh, thanks so much for being here, guys. Uh, if you are new, if you are new, uh, I want to direct your attention to this. This is a connection card. So don't worry about anything Darren just said. That's not true. You can think about it. That's good stuff to think about. But really direct your attention to this. This is sort of our central hub of helping us help you. Uh, you can put information like name, email, uh, neighborhood. Uh, on the back, you can say, hey, I'm interested in getting connected in the community by joining a table. I have a question or a prayer request. Fill this out. Um, and at the end of service, our welcome team will be at the back door with baskets. You can drop it off there, and someone from our team will be in touch with you. As you do this, I only have two announcements. Number one, uh, we've been talking about the roundtable the last couple weeks. Uh, the roundtable is basically for those who are ready to define the relationship, those who want more, um, more involvement. They want to be a culture shaper at Hope Brooklyn. If you don't know what that is, don't worry about it. Just wait till the spring. If you do know what that is, and maybe it's been on the, the, the tip of your tongue, it's been on your heart, but you're on the fence, not sure, there's still time to sign up. You should sign up. Uh, it starts this afternoon at 1 p.m. There's a sign-up at the What's Next table. So after service, just go back there, fill it out, your name. I'll be in touch with you. We got a delicious lunch ready for you. Good people. It's going to be a great time. You heard Darren say and Anna from earlier say, um, once a month, uh, we always have brunch together upstairs in the cafeteria, but once a month, we don't. We have brunch out in the community. So that is today. So if you are a regular um, grab some people, you're going to go to brunch out in the community. However, we do something during this Sunday when no one's in the cafeteria called a newcomer's brunch. And so that's for anyone who's been coming for the last bit of time and has never been to one of these. It's your chance to, uh, to get to know some of the staff and also to get to know some people who are part of the community, to hear sort of like a 30,000 foot view of who Hope Brooklyn is, where we're going, what's our vision, uh, for you to ask whatever questions is on your heart, whatever questions, um, and to meet some people. So it's a great time, if, whether you received an invitation via email or text and you just didn't respond, or you didn't receive that invitation, you're invited, all right? If you've never been, come. Uh, there may or may not be a special gift for you waiting. I don't know, we'll see, we'll see. Um, yeah, we're not, we're not above bribery, okay? All right, we, we definitely utilize it. All right, uh, ch children, kids, you are dismissed, go. 
We have Hope Kids, Hope Tots programs, Hope Tiny Tots for the two-year-olds, um, and also parents, if you have a little, little one um, that you're not ready to pass off yet, there's a nursery straight out these doors. To the left-hand side, you'll see a sign that says nursery. In the gym, and like the first door on the left, there's a little art room, uh, changing station, games, all that stuff. So make that available. All right. One other thing I just want to make the community aware of. Some of you are already aware. Um, we have been in this school for a little over two years now. Well, I guess technically we've been in this school for about three years. Uh, we've been in terms of an official church when we launched a little over two. Um, and we've had a wonderful relationship with this, with this school. We love the front staff. We love uh, the custodial staff. It's, it's awesome. Um, we just received word on Friday that uh, we, we currently, if you're part of a team member uh, uh, on one of our Sunday morning teams, we store our stuff in a, in a mechanical closet. And we just received word that we're no longer allowed to do that. Now, that might not seem like a big deal to you. It's a very big deal, all right? <laughs> um, basically, what that means, we have a couple options. One, prayer, <laughs> lots of prayer. I'm going to come talk to the, uh, the head custodian on Tuesday, be praying for me for that conversation. Um, because as you guys know, uh, in New York, space is a premium. Space is expensive. Uh, so if it ends up going the route of we're no longer allowed to store stuff here, pray for an opportunity elsewhere. Pray for um, a garage somewhere because it'll be uh, a significant financial expense that isn't currently in our budget for um, uh, storing equipment, renting out that storage space, trucks to, to bring it over, also hiring um, people to, to help bring it over because we won't make our community do that. Um, so I only bring this up for a couple reasons. One, if you are on the email list, you saw in the email that I've been feeling and sensing in my spirit for a while now that today's sermon is um, going to be important for many of you. I've just been sensing deep down in my relationship with God that God wants to speak to many of you in this room today in a profound way. So of course it would be par for the course that on the Friday before this, this sermon, before our gathering, we receive word that, that of this change-up that would be an attempt at distracting us from what God is calling us to do. I just want to be clear. We are not going to be distracted. And it's, this is not to put, um, hear me, this is not to, to say that any human is an enemy. They're not. We are all learning how to be in relationship with God together. And as we'll talk about today, there is an active enemy, um, not in human flesh. But we are not going to be distracted from what God is calling us to do. God is in this place. God is in this place. As we've entered into this season, this, this new sermon series called Groundswell, where we are giving God permission for his presence to swell among us, to speak to us deeply, um, there will be active resistance to not let that happen. And so I want to share this burden with you because Hope Brooklyn is not my church. Hope Brooklyn is God's church, which means Hope Brooklyn is our church. We carry these burdens together, ultimately bringing them to Jesus. So twofold, one, would you be in prayer for this situation and what God is doing in it? What, what new possibilities he's bringing up or how he's testing our faith so that he can receive all the glory and so that you can have your faith strengthened. And secondly, as we jump into today's text, 
would you be even more resolved that God has a message for you today? Would you be even more available as we just sang, I'm listening? Would you be listening right now for what God might want to say? Let's pray and then we'll jump in. God, we are listening. Your word brings life. Your word sets free. Your word drives out the darkness. And in your light, we see light. Each person in this room is your child. You have known them when they were in their mother's womb. You stitched them together, as the psalmist says. They are fearfully and wonderfully made by you. But as we've emerged into the world, as we've lived and developed, we've been formed by a broken world. There is active resistance. There are beings and those who do not want to live in relationship with you, and they have been working on us too. And so each person in this room has been formed in such a way that as Darren said, they're willing to give some to you, but not all of themselves to you. And little do they know that you are seeking all of them. So Lord, as we, uh, as we step into today's topic, you have to be the one to speak. Give people a clear heart, clear mind, and the availability to be open to what you just might say to them. It's in your name we pray, amen. All right, so like I said, we are in this series, Groundswell. And um, a word that keeps coming to me as, as God's presence starts moving more and more in our hearts and our lives is hunger. I think that's what it is. The, the more you taste God, the hungrier you are for him. And so that's been my prayer throughout this series is that in some form or fashion, you are tasting God, you're tasting the goodness of his love, which is therefore is making you hungry and hungrier for more of it. As I said, our passage today, I've known for a while that God has wanted to speak uh, through it to you. That's one of the beautiful things about the Bible. The Bible is called God breathed, spirit breathed, which is just, if you think about it, what does that mean? Well, God, as we've talked about before, God is not one being among other beings. No, that's not it at all. God is the source of being itself. God is the ground of being. We exist because God is existence himself, which is why Jesus is such a um, historical anomaly because he is saying in his life, he is the incarnate God. He is in perfect relationship with God. We see a form of life that we don't see elsewhere. But the reason why the Bible is so powerful and, and such, a, such an incredible book is because when we read it, we are, coming, we are tapping in to, to being itself, which is why I don't know if you've ever had this experience. I go to the Bible and uh, maybe I'm like downcast or, or I'm sorrowful and I'll open it up to a passage and it's not like I'm reading the Bible. It's like the Bible's reading me. The passage speaks right to the root of my very existence, right to the heart of, of what I'm afraid to voice myself. That's what the Bible does. And, and that's also the fun of preaching, I'll be honest, because there's so many characters and themes and motifs. 
And, and you can connect with a lot of different ones at different stages of your life. But today, you are all one character in this story. You're one character. You are the sick man, okay? You're the sick man. And Jesus is playing himself. Jesus is playing Jesus in this adaptation today. And he's speaking to you. So we're going to be reading John chapter 5, verses 1 through 15. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda or Bethsaida, which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up. Pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leader said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning, or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders it was Jesus who had made him well. All right, let's start with the elephant in the room. What in the world did Jesus just say to him at the end of that exchange? Stop sinning or something worse will happen to you. Jesus connects this guy's sin to his, his, his being an invalid, his current infirmary or his future infirmary. Now, I'm sure the Catholics in the room were like, oh, so that's where Sister Margaret gets it from. Okay, right? Let's scare them into the kingdom. Stop sinning or it's gonna fall off, right? Catholics have Sister Margaret. I have Deacon Jim. Deacon Jim he told us that, uh, that alcohol was the devil's juice. That's what he told us. Well, what Deacon Jim didn't know was that he liked to go to uh, this restaurant where some from the youth group were servers, and he ordered himself a Baptist coffee. If you don't know what a Baptist coffee is, some of y'all know what a Baptist coffee is. It's a coffee, black, with, I don't know, maybe like a, like a splash of Kahlua. Just a splash, you know? So I have Deacon Jim, the Catholics have Sister Margaret. Nothing against if any of you have wonderful friends named a sister Margaret or a deacon Jim, okay? I'm sure they're lovely. But Jesus is saying, stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. He's connecting the spiritual and the physical. He's saying the two are connected. Our spiritual lives, how we live with God or without God, are connected to our body's health or lack thereof. Now, before you rush to sort of call Jesus a quack or whatever, 
let me sort of pause and, and offer some examples of maybe where we see this happening. Uh, Anna, my wife, um, she has this wonderful habit that whenever we are going on a vacation, um, her body just seems to know that it's about to happen. And so like, it, it'll kid, I kid you not, she will be like trying to take care of herself, doing all the right things, and then we'll get on the plane. She's been well and healthy. We'll get on the plane and she'll look at me and go, Russ, I have a tickle in my throat. We will land and there will be mucus coming down her nose and she will be in bed for the next two days to start our vacation. It's wonderful. I love it. Somehow her body knows. She hasn't changed any of her actions, but there's something mentally, spiritually that her body knows that it's no longer in work mode. It's now in vacation mode and her immune system can utterly collapse. There's some connection there. Or consider the case of loneliness. Loneliness has been declared a public health emergency in America. It's being called an epidemic. There's been lots of studies on loneliness over the last 20 years. One study that came out of UCLA found that loneliness, the feeling of social uh, marginalization and loneliness, it acts on the same part of the brain as physical pain. Catch that, social pain is one and the same with physical pain. Lonely people who get sick actually suffer more severe symptoms than non-lonely people. People who are chronically lonely are two times more likely to contract dementia and Alzheimer's, it's been found. And chronic loneliness is akin, is just like smoking two packs a day of cigarettes with all the increased risk of disease and cardiovascular disease. Being lonely is just like your body smoking two packs of cigarettes. You can say the same thing about stress and anxiety. I only bring this up to make the case that our modern science has found or is discovering that our social and mental lives are connected to our body's physical health. I mean, that's, for the doctors in the room, y'all know this, the primary reason why people are told to exercise has nothing to do with their bodies, it has to do with their minds. The way it gets your mind going, energy released. Our social and our mental lives is connected to our body's physical health. Uh, irreligious people in our community, they would, say, they would say the same. Secular humanists would say it's all about relationships. Relationships, or lack thereof, affect the body. So before we call Jesus a quack because he's saying the spiritual world is connected to the physical world, our science is discovering the exact same thing. Jesus, though, just takes it one step further. He goes, I know that your social life, your mental life, your spiritual life, I know it's connected to your body, to your physical health. I made you. I know your body and your mind. I know how relationships are supposed to work. The ultimate problem, though, is not your relationships with one another. It's not you being a bit more mindful or meditative. The ultimate problem is a spiritual loneliness. You were designed to have at the center of your existence, God, in relationship with God himself. You were designed to have at the center of your being, that inner voice that we all have, that we talk to ourselves in the shower, and Anna discovers me preaching sermons in the shower that may or may not happen. That inner voice that's speaking, you were designed to have God's presence there, a dialogue in that place. 
And Jesus is saying, that's what I'm bringing to you. And where that is not happening, where God's presence is not at the center of your life, it will result in adverse mental, physical, social effects, which is why sin, when we use that word, sin is not Sister Margaret telling us to stop having fun. Sin is a falling short of the intended, of the intention of God. Uh, the word used in Greek is hamartineo, which I've said before, Aristotle would use this word to describe uh, an arrow that misses the bullseye. The arrow has hamartineo. The arrow has sinned. It has missed the mark. It is less than the ideal. The arrow was designed for the center of the bullseye. It is not there. Whether it misses by a little or a lot, it doesn't matter. It has sinned. It has missed the mark. It's falling short. So if the spiritual and the social and the mental and the physical are all connected, says Jesus, then living in a way that is less than having God at the center of your being, living in a way that doesn't allow for God to shape how you think or how you act or how you relate with others, that is just called sin in the shorthand. So it could be concrete actions like lying, telling a lie, having an affair, committing violence. All of those are concrete actions that get at the fundamental disorder in our hearts, in our imaginations, in our relationships because God is not at the center of them. But sin is also when you and I, we can't stop having materialism at the center of us, at the root of us, right? So we buy more and more because materialism is at the center of us and not God's voice, not God's love. We keep buying more and more and we hope it makes us feel better and we get a momentary high, but then we feel emptier and emptier. And then our bodies become more anxious and more anxious and we suffer from more FOMO and more FOMO and we just become numb. It's all connected. It's all connected because from the deepest parts of us, it started with the wrong thing. You had something else in the center of you other than God's voice. Your job is at the center of you. Therefore, it manifests itself into workaholism. It manifests itself into comparing yourself to, to others in your career. It manifests itself in anxiety, depression. It manifests itself in breaking out through, through stress in your body your relationships are destroyed. All of that is a result because at the center of you, God's word is not there, but your, your, your job as your identity is there. Or perhaps for, in your case, you have some past season, past moment, some mistake that you made that you just cannot get out. It eats at you. You know what I'm talking about? That, that season, that moment, that mistake, that person, it just eats at you. It's at the center and it affects, it colors every aspect of your lives. You can't get free from it. You have some toxic narrative that you can't shut off in your brain. And every time something seems to be going well, you just you get sucked back into this toxic narrative. What's yours? There is some dead burden in your heart that Jesus is trying to point his finger at. That is at the center of you, and therefore it is affecting the way you live your life. It is affecting your body's health or lack thereof. It's affecting what's happening. And Jesus is saying, I've come to bring the dead to life. That's why I'm here. So Jesus shows up at the pool called Bethsaida, 
which interestingly and translated is the house of mercy. <laughs> and there's a multitude, there are many invalids lying there, weak people. The word is asthenia. It's just a generic word. It's a, it's a broad word for all sorts of weakness, all sorts of sickness, all sorts of disease. We could say it's a generic word for all the ways that the body has missed the mark of health. We could say there's just full of sinners there. But again, as we've redefined sin. Don't miss the irony, friends. There are many weak, sinful, dying people lying in the house of mercy. Whew. Don't many of you show up here week after week? Still weak, still dying, still with that toxic narrative, still in that same place, in the house of mercy? I know you do. And one man, he'd been there for 38 years, coming to church faithfully for 38 years in his sin reality. And we're told that Jesus saw him and knew that he had been there for 38 years. Which I need to pause there because you need to know something about our God. Before Jesus presumed to touch him, before Jesus presumed to heal him, he saw him and he learned his story. Our God is called a God of compassion, but we have to remember what that word compassion means. It's a compound, con, with, passe, to suffer. Compassion is literally to suffer with someone. Not to be like, oh, there, there, you'll cheer up. Take two Advil and, I don't know, call me when you're, you're well. Compassion is to join in their suffering, to join them. Our God, before he wants to heal you, wants to suffer with you. Which is why before there is a resurrection, there is a cross telling us that God understands what it's like to be weak. He understands what you feel in your loneliness. He understands what it's like to suffer depression. Not like he's at a distance. No, no, no. He himself has entered into that reality. He himself has suffered depression. He understands what it's like to have that pain in your back. He understands what it's like to live with that disease. He understands what it's like to be addicted and to not be able to break the cycle of addiction. He understands what it's like to be rejected by your mom or your dad or to always be considered second to some older or younger sibling. He understands. He sees you. He understands what it's like to feel abandoned for 38 years. God sees you. Even when you refuse to look at yourself, God sees you. I'm gonna say that again because I know many people, many invalids lying in the house of mercy are good at tuning, tuning out the words of God. Even when you refuse to look at yourself because you're so ashamed, you're so hurt, you're just trying to get on, get by. Even when you refuse to look at it, God sees you. He sees you. He sees you, and he knows the pain you've been living with for many years. And it's important you know that, that you are seen and your story is known before anything else can happen. Why? Because often things are not what they seem. That's what we've been getting at. If the spiritual and the physical are connected, then often things are not what they seem. 
It's just like when we go into counseling, right? You're like, hey, I'm having this issue with my marriage. And I leave an hour later and I'm like, Eureka, it was daddy issues the whole time, right? You go in for this one problem and you come out and you're like, oh, it was something deeper. It was something else. Jesus sees a physical weakness and he recognizes that there's a spiritual root issue. That God is not at the center of this man's life. Jesus sees your loneliness. He sees those negative voices. He sees your sick body. He sees your addiction. He sees your anxiety and depression. He sees your anger. He sees this, this, this deep sense of abandonment and rejection. And he recognizes that there's a spiritual root issue. There's something deeper than that. And you know it too. So consequently, you've been an invalid lying in the house of mercy for 38 years. Jesus sees him. He learns his story. He knows he's been there for 38 years. And then he asks him a question. He goes, do you want to be made well? Please hear God speaking to you today. Do you want to be made well? Do you even want it? Can you even imagine what it would feel like to not have this burden define your life anymore? Can you even imagine? Do you want it? The, the word for well is hugias, which actually has a, a more generic sense of like whole or sound. So he's saying, do you want to be made whole? Contrast that word with what we talked about with sin. Sin is missing the mark of wholeness, missing the mark of ideal, of, of the ideal, of the intention. Jesus is juxtaposing the two. He's saying, you've been living in a way where God is not at the center of your life. You've had other things at the center that have been dictating how you think, how you live, how you relate with other people, how you relate with yourself. And it's sin. But do you want to be made whole? I know how to do it. Not just do you want to be healed, but do you want to be whole? Do you want the burden gone? He brings the dead to life. That's his promise. Do you want it? Or are you content being an invalid in the house of mercy for 38 years? It's your choice. That's the compassion of Jesus. He's not going to force anything on you. God will give you as much as you want of him. But he will not presume to give something that you're not asking for because love doesn't do that. Love does not force itself on anyone. He has so much to give, but do you want it? And then I love it. <laughs> As I ask you this, right, uh, hopefully something is coming to mind that God wants to address. And then I ask you, do you want this? And I dare say, if you're like me, a part of my heart is like, yes, 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 I want it. But then there's another part, right? There's another voice that starts coming up. And what is it doing? It starts telling Jesus all the reasons why it can't happen, doesn't it? It starts reciting this narrative of, well, I want it, but like, here's the reasons why it can't happen. <laughs> when Jesus asks this guy, do you want to be made whole? What does he do? He goes, well, I don't have a guy when the water is stirred to throw me into the water, right? He recites his story. And just for a little context, um, the custom of this ancient world in this, in this pool, in this place, the water was considered divine. So uh, an angel would sort of swoop by and stir up the water and the first person who jumped into the water would be healed. 
And don't knock it because it clearly worked. Otherwise, where, why were there a multitude of people at the house of mercy? I mean, basically Jesus is like, hey, do you want to be whole? And he, he starts giving him his ancient health insurance plan. He's like, I don't have the gold plan. I don't have the guy to throw me in. I can't afford that. All right, so that, that's why. That's why I'm not whole. That's why I'm not well. God is saying to you, I see your underlying issue. I see it. And then you begin to rehearse all the reasons why it's impossible for him to do anything about it, don't you? I feel unloved. Well, actually, I deserve it. I did this thing back in the day. It just can't be atoned for. I had this addiction I can't break free of. Well, I was abused as a child. I developed false habits of peace. It's just, it's the way I've been formed. The body has memory. The body has habits. My body is sick. Well, I went to the doctor. Here's what happened to my lungs. I'm taking the medicine. You're distrusting of God and others. But you're saying, well, but there's some aspects of my identity. There's some aspects of my, politi my politics that I can't let go of. They're too important to who I am and how I view myself in this world. And in all of those cases, Jesus is saying, do you want to be whole? And you're saying back to him, there's something more important that's at the center of me than God. There's something I value more highly than God. Why do we do this, guys? Because you're scared of living freely. <laughs> Imagine living with something for 38 years. It's terrible, but it's still got like this strange, toxic comfort in how terrible it is. At least you know what to expect. At least life makes sense. But to be free of that and to enter into a brand new way of life, a brand new freedom with God at the center, that is terrifying. That's why for many of us, we know uh, why people stay in abusive relationships. You know that you should be out of this, but you're terrified of, of what it means to live by yourself, to live on your own, to live free of this. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. The longer you live with something, the more you believe you deserve it, the more you accept this is just how it is and this is your lot in life. Friends, I'm here to tell you today, it's not true. It's not true. That is a lie. That is a lie. Why does this man recite this story, his story to Jesus? It's clear. Because the world recites it to him. <laughs> Did y'all catch this after he's healed? It's the day of the Sabbath. He's been lying paralyzed for 38 years. And the first thing that his friends say to him when they see him walking around is what? They don't say, oh my gosh, you're walking. They say, it's the Sabbath. <laughs> you shouldn't be carrying your mat. The reason why he recites his stories, friends, is because it's been recited to him his entire life. The reason why you recite your story to God is because it's been recited to you your entire life. This is why when God asks you, do you want to be made whole, you rehearse all the reasons why you can't because those closest to you have whispered those same reasons into your ear over and over and over. But please hear me. We are not blaming them because it's not their fault because someone close to them 
whispered those narratives over and over and over. And someone close to them whispered those narratives. And you can trace that rumor all the way back to the very first spiritual being who was known as the angel of music who said he did not want to be whole if it meant God had to be at the center of his existence. Which is why Jesus is saying it's a spiritual battle we're in. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against humans. We're all being worked on by the chief deceiver, the chief liar himself, who's the one whispering those narratives. The root problem, friends, of all of this is a spiritual rebellion. Forces that don't want us to know God, which is why as I prepare to preach this sermon, something coincidentally comes up that now we can't store our stuff here anymore. Is that coincidence? Three years of being here, it's the first time it's come up on the Friday before this message? I don't think so. Do you want to be whole? (laughs) Do you want to be whole? You can. Friends, Jesus is still asking today, do you want to be made whole? And notice the guy doesn't answer him. He recites his reasons why it can't happen. But Jesus hears what he's looking for, and he says to him, stand up. Stand up. Take your mat and walk. And at once the man was made whole. Friends, Jesus is saying to you today, a new narrative is here. A new identity is here a new insurance plan, a new medicine, a new reality, a new world. Jesus did not teach fundamentally, nor did he heal fundamentally. He came and he announced the kingdom. God is back. God cannot be kept out. He is here and he wants you. But do you want to be whole? Do you want to be made well? That's your choice. And if so, then stand up, take your mat and walk and be free. Take your mat, don't leave it behind. The symbol of death is now the symbol of new life, just like the cross and the resurrection, where God incorporates death into his plan and says, actually, the cross, the sign of the chief execution, chief humiliation, this will be the sign of my new victory and my new world. Do you want to be whole, friends? Then stand up and walk. I'm gonna invite the band back up. I don't have a grand poetic conclusion. I don't have a very compelling story. All I have is the promise and the invitation of Jesus. Hopefully, as we've been talking today, something has filled your heart. Something that maybe is just crying out that you want to be done with. You want to lay it down and you don't ever want to pick it back up again. I know that pain. Maybe you're here and you've been a Christian for 38 years and there's still something in you that you want to lay down, that it's at the center of you and it's been, it's been affecting your life and you can't handle it anymore. Jesus is saying, Do you want to be made whole? Because if so, take up your mat and walk. I can do it, says Jesus. I can put God right back at the center of you. 
I can drive out the darkness, but do you want it? It comes through me. It comes through me. There's no power in in what this guy is preaching today. There's no power in anything but my voice and my word. If you want it, you can have it, but it comes through me. At the center of us, at the center of us is no longer anything else but Jesus himself. Jesus' words, Jesus' love, Jesus' life. Jesus who reveals to us the living God, reveals to us love himself. And it's yours for the taking if you want it. So here's what we're going to do to make us all a little bit more uncomfortable today. If you're, gonna, if you're one of the people praying, would you go ahead and just come forward? I'm going to invite you all to, to close your eyes. We're going to sing a song of response. And as we do, I want to invite anyone in this room who has something just knocking on your heart right now saying, deal with this, deal with this, please, for the love of God, deal with this, to come forward as we sing. And I know that terrifies the junk out of you. Why? Because it's a sign of vulnerability. It's a sign of acknowledging your weakness. But imagine, just for a second, imagine if Jesus had looked at this man and said, stand up, take your mat and walk. And he says to Jesus, cool, can I wait until everyone leaves and then do it? No. It requires us meeting him. It requires us putting our hands and our bodies, again, if the spiritual and the physical are connected, we can't just make a spiritual decision in our heart that isn't echoed by what our bodies do. So it requires our bodies coming forward and receiving prayer, receiving the gift of Jesus at the center of us. So Jesus, the prayers for everyone in this room. If there's someone who is scared, oh Lord, give them courage. As we sing this song of response, would you fill our hearts with hunger for you? Would we know that we do not have to live a single day, not one more day in this toxicity? We don't have to live another day as an invalid in the house of mercy. The offer is here. Would they know it in their hearts right now, God? The offer is here. And would the voices that tell them, that rehearse all the reasons why you can't do it, would they be silenced in the name of Jesus? And as we enter as a family, as a community, would we be vulnerable and on our knees together, saying we have nothing, we want nothing but you, Jesus. We want nothing else but you, Jesus. We want nothing else but you. We give you this time, God. Move among us. Amen. To find out more about the mission of Hope Brooklyn, details about Sunday gatherings, brunch, how to financially contribute, and a whole lot more, check us out online at www.hopebrooklyn.org. 
Thanks to Liz Weiss at LizVeiss.com for the music and to you for tuning in. See you next week.